0: This is episode 84 of AA Beyond Belief, the podcast, and I'm your host, John S. last week's episode, I spoke with Bethany B. and Heather B. about their experiences with sexual harassment and predation in the rooms of AA, and we explored possible solutions to the problem. This week, we continue the discussion and hear from three women who simply share their stories. Sarah J. from Johannesburg, South Africa, talks about her experience with emotional exploitation. Lisa X. from Rochester, New York, recalls a relationship that could have driven her from AA altogether. And Jennifer W. from Toronto, Ontario, shares a story about how her AA group helped make the meeting a safe space.
1: It's quite weird in the rooms because when you're a newcomer, people are always friendly to you and you need you need that, um, but then sometimes like people have ulterior motives and I was, one guy did ask me after coffee and I could just tell that um, he, he didn't seem to be working a very strong program at all. And I I think, uh, yeah, I just didn't feel comfortable. So I said no. And then the second time, um, I was still new and this one guy, um, he just took an interest in me and it was always like a, as a friend, but he had six years, um, sobriety and I had just a couple of months. And he started, like, he asked my, for my number, and then he started calling me quite a lot. Um, just, I don't know, on the pretext of, of wanting to help me. Um, and then we would meet for coffee, and um, he would always he was just ask me all about my life. And I wasn't, I didn't want, I wanted to keep him at arm's length, but I just didn't have any defenses at that stage. Um I was like lonely and alone, and I didn't know anyone. And he seemed he had that sort of authority, you know, like he was giving me a lot of pearls of wisdom um, and helping me understand the program and all of that. Um, And yeah, just became a bit claustrophobic. He was phoning a lot, messaging, um, asking me to go for coffee. And then when I I started saying no, and then he he phoned me quite late at night saying, "Is it something I did?" And it just got a bit a bit creepy. Um, and then I spoke to my friend about it, um, and I just said, look, I don't know what to do about this, and um, this is a friend of mine in the program who, she had two years sobriety, and she said to me, you're not obligated to be friends with this person, and I was like, really? I thought, <laughs> I thought I'm, I'm supposed to be here making friends, um, and and uh, connecting with people, and she said, no, especially because he's a man, and, I, I've, I've always been very about equality and like men can be friends with women and, and there's nothing wrong with that. And, but she said, you're a woman in, in early recovery and some men will want to exploit that. And I didn't want to believe that. But um, I think she was right in this case. And she said, you've just got to like, keep your wits about you and don't trust everyone. Um, and this was an example of, I think he was just taking advantage of me. He, he didn't try to, he didn't make any moves, but I felt very emotionally Sort of exploited um, because when we were together, he would also gossip a lot about other people in the program and tell me things I didn't want to hear about other people I knew. Um, yeah, and one thing he told me was that he had um, one of the, an, another newcomer had um, been suicidal one night and called him, and he'd gone around there and um, ended up sleeping with her. And he told me this like. As if, like, it wasn't his fault. He said, no, but you don't understand. I don't know why I did it. I felt so bad, but I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And it was just strange. Um, the whole thing was very strange. And I eventually was only able to extricate myself from the situation by going, going to another city. Like, I just hadn't learned the skills yet to, to say, um, you know, I don't want to have any contact with you anymore. I just didn't know how to say that. And he was quite emotionally manipulative. Um, Anyway, I was moving to Joburg from Cape Town anyway, so it wasn't like that wasn't the reason I left. But I used that as an excuse to just cut off contact, and that's uh, that's the whole story of that. And then other times there were men who would ask me for lifts, and I would drive them in my car alone, like to strange places. And I realise now that I mean nothing happened, but it 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 could have. And I think one thing I just want to get across to women or anyone who's new in recovery is you're not obliged to help anyone. Even if they're an old timer or someone with a lot of clean time, you just, yes, you can respect them, but you don't have to do everything to please them because they're just human and they might also have their own issues and they could be using you for uh, their own, you know, they could have ulterior motives or, or whatever.
0: Our next speaker is Lisa X from Rochester, New York.
2: This guy, uh, he. Um he was at one of my meetings, and I was going to about five meetings a week, minimum. So I was really active, and I was, you know, starting to feel better. And this was, like, about May, June. He just started getting really friendly with me, and I realized, looking back, at the time, you know, you're just kind of numb, and, you I don't know, you don't have your no wits about you. And he was just really pressuring me into, um, oh, can you give me a ride? Like, he didn't have his license, and so he had a bike, and... I felt sorry for him, so I started giving him rides. and I told him, I said, I'm still, you know, grieving for the, for the death of this person, and I, I'm not interested in anything, you know, beyond friendship, but, you know, he persisted, and by August, I just kind of gave in, because, you know, it was just like, we weren't boyfriend and girlfriend, we were just kind of casual, I don't know, but, um, it just turned out that, you know, I, I saw things about him in the beginning. You know, like when they say you should really trust your gut. <laughs> should i trust sure trusted my gut. There was something not right about him. He was very pompous and arrogant. He had um, had some sobriety, long-term sobriety, and had relapsed. So he was about two years sober at that point. But he was just a know-it-all, and he was telling me all about all the meetings in town, and this person and that person. And I just said, look, I would just like to remain innocent or... or Uh, unaware of these things. I'm I most, uh, you know, I just wanted to stay close to AA. I don't want to know all the bad stuff. Just let me have my pink cloud. But um, it turned out, you know, when I, I broke it off. He got really nasty, and he started talking about me and saying really horrible things. And um, this is what I thought of this morning. I forgot that we actually had to get his sponsor involved to tell him to cut it the hell out because he was just being really, really mean. And I was thinking how, had I not had that really close-knit group of uh, AA, you know, my network of friends, I could possibly have just stopped going to meetings to avoid the guy, you know, and how awful that would have been. And then, you know, like with the, the God stuff, the same thing. I think it's just so important to uh, to not drive people away for whatever reason. You know, you're there because it's safe and, and to make it unsafe and to be afraid of people, uh, you know, having bad agendas, <laughs> the predatory stuff. That's just wrong. And um, and I, to this day, I still feel safest in women's meetings. And I was so naive, you know, I was so trusting. I just thought, oh, well, they're AA, you know, they're, they're good. And I was just like, uh, I don't know. I, I did see everything with rose colored glasses in the beginning, which is good because I don't think I would have stayed had I, had I had all the preconceived notions, if I had I not set aside all of my preconceived notions, which later turned out to be some of those were kind of true, <laughs> but but anyway, yeah, I think it's dangerous, especially for young women, and and like you know, they just I I was in about two years sober. I went to this uh, meeting, and there were a lot of guy young guys in their thirties, and they would have come. I could hear them talking and having conversations about. Oh, you know, like checking out this person or that person, you know, fresh meat. And I thought, God, that's awful, you know. And then also, I was thinking how, you know, because so many people like myself have such low self-esteem. And I think looking back, it was because he paid attention to me and, and a little bit of flattery, you know. I I was lonely, and and I just I don't know I fell for it. <laughs> just so anyway.
0: And now for our final speaker, Jennifer W. from Toronto, Ontario.
3: My name's Jennifer W., and I got sober on October 21st, 1994, in uh, a small uh, city um, east of Toronto in a group there. While I was there, there was a man who started coming to our meeting, and he was wealthy man, he owned his own business and he was married. Um, and he had a lot of gold rings and he had a long leather coat, so he made uh, quite an image, that's for sure. And he was very nice, very affable, um, very friendly. Um, and that was that was great and he was a good addition to our group. But probably about three months in we noticed that he was taking he was arriving at the meetings with women from our group that were I would call vulnerable they were uh single they were probably didn't have a job or they didn't have a lot of money and um uh, you know they weren't doing the best right they were doing the best they could but and he would show up to different women at different times and our different meetings and then he would uh then there was we would go out for coffee with them and we noticed this because there was a smoking area right at the parking lot. So we'd see them pull up and um I think maybe a month of this or a little over that, we became concerned. And I think I was probably two years sober at the time. So it was really interesting because it was a, it was an informal buzz of, uh, quiet The quiet buzz of talk amongst the members, making coffee before the meeting, after the meeting, um, discussing this man, Um, and we found that we were all very concerned. But really, there was nobody really knew that within the Twelve Traditions there was any context to do anything about this situation. So it was just quietly decided amongst the senior men. Members, the men in the group, uh, that they would take him out for coffee one night, um, after a meeting and, uh, they set it up and we all used to go to the same coffee shop and so all of us knew not to go. Um, so it would just be the men and this, this gentleman. And I don't know how long they spent there and I don't know what they said, but I do know that at the next meeting a very chastened man showed up alone in his Lincoln, <laughs> uh for the next meeting and um he started sitting even in within the meetings uh in open and discussion meetings with the the men. And I just I just really loved the way that it was handled again. You know, this wasn't, you know, well, let's look at, you know, the 12 traditions or it was very informal, but it was, it was handled that way. Um, and I really appreciated it because there's no gossip. Nobody had to leave. Nobody got angry. Um, and they just handled it so well. And, um, they took him in actually, you know, into the men's zone of the group and he didn't even stop coming, which, I thought was, wow, how did they pull that off? But they did. And, you know, I just, uh, I really loved and respected the men in my group for the way that they handled it. And, you know, all the women collectively breathed a sigh of relief. And uh, it was just the power of the fellowship, um, the best of it in action. And um, it it was very remarkable. For me to witness and I was really glad that I
0: got to see that happen well that wraps up another episode of aa beyond belief the podcast thank you for listening everybody we certainly appreciate all of your support We'll be back again next week speaking with Dan M. from London, England. Dan will be telling us about Secular AA in England. We certainly look forward to that. Until then, you all take care and be well.